believe you lost your job. What? I'm trying to do my very best, okay? How are we supposed to support our family? I, I'm going to have to go get another job. I, you know what? I'm just trying, okay? How are you trying? You I, don't even help me with the kids. We have two kids. One teenager and we have a little girl. Who needs her daddy? I'm trying to work. I'm trying to get money so that I can support you guys, so that you guys can buy all the, all the things you guys want. What else do you guys want from me? No, you didn't try. You went to work late. You came home early. What do you mean late? What do you mean late? I hardly ever go to work late. Oh, once in a, once in a while, I, come, I go to work late. Wow, wow, I, I go to work late. Why? Because you trapped him on the road. Hello? Sometimes in the worst circumstances, God shows up something that is good. If we're not ready for it, if we're not looking for it, sometimes we'll miss the blessing because we're so focused on what is not going well. And in this new series, God's Good News, we want to look at just that right there. That in our world today, it's like we gravitate towards bad news. That when we turn on the news, it's pretty much bad news that is being shared with us. When we watch videos... They're bad news types of videos. In fact, I was watching this bunch of teenagers. They were watching this uh, video on YouTube. And after the video was done, it was about a minute and a half. They were all disappointed. And I said, what happened? They said, nothing. And I said, well, what was the video about? They said, oh, it was just some guys doing some things on skateboards. And I said, so what was junk about it? And they said this, no one got hurt. So it wasn't funny. I said, so let me get this straight. You would rather watch a video that's funny of somebody getting hurt than an actual video that somebody does something good. They're like, yeah, because it's funny. No, I'm not putting down teenagers by any means, but what I am saying is it's in us that we gravitate towards things that are bad. Maybe it could be curiosity. It could be uh, we're just wondering what's happening. It's like when we pass an accident. That's usually why... The traffic is backed up. It's not because of the actual accident, but because people slow down and they want to see what happened. God's good news is so much more than we think it is. Because in our world today, it can seem like there is no more good news, nothing good to talk about. But God says, no, I always have good news. And in the midst of our trials and and even devastation that can happen in our world, God always has good news because he is the God who blesses. I want you to take out your bulletin with me, and there's some notes in there that will help you to follow along. And we want to learn today and how we can focus on the God who blesses and how that affects us. Now, I want to do a quick exercise with you. I want you to yell out, good or bad, in this situation, okay? A broken phone, good or bad? Bad. Some people said good. Okay, (laughs) it depends whose phone, right? (laughs) Working in hot conditions causing you to sweat a lot. Good, some say good, some say bad. As a male teenager being approached by a girl, grabbing your shirt, ready to punch your face. Good or bad? (laughs) You guys are horrible. Some of you are like, that can be good. So a broken phone, that can be good if you wanted to upgrade. That can be good if so-and-so is always on their phone. So it depends on your situation. It depends from your perspective if it's good or bad. 
Working in hot conditions causing you to sweat a lot. It can be bad if you're working in an office with a lot of people where it's supposed to be air-conditioned. But it could be good if you're trying to lose weight. So it can be good or bad depending on what circumstance you're in. As a male teenager being approached by a girl grabbing your shirt ready to punch your face. It can be bad unless she becomes your wife. In this case, I married Heidi because that's how we met. (laughs) You can ask her later how that happened. Notice I said ask her. Don't ask me. Now, we're going to look at a a man by the name of Joel. And Joel is found in the Bible. He's one of the prophets. But he's going to let us know the same kind of thing, that there is is good that can happen even when when it looks like there's devastation. That Joel was one of those guys that was used by God to bring about change when people were turning from God. And the prophet Joel directed his message to Judah and more specifically the city of Jerusalem. That Joel was an educated, well-read leader who knew not only the writings of all these other prophets, but also the current events of his time. He, he knew what was happening. He was well aware of what was taking place around him. He knew about the weather patterns. He knew about what was happening in, in, uh, uh, with, with uh, God's prof- prophetic words. And, and all the things that were taking place in his day, he was well aware of that. And he used them all to illustrate the message that God had given to him. But Joel also effectively used an invasion of locusts that occurred during his day as, as, as his primary word picture. He utilized this natural catastrophe to underscore his message of repentance. He spoke of the day of the Lord. That was, that was kind of like his model, his theme, the day of the Lord, which would come much like the locusts, surprising and terrifying. Then he attempted to awaken the people of Judah from their spiritual apathy and disobedience and provoke them to return to the Lord. So he had a purpose why he was bringing about these words. And I thought, you know, Joel was a man who was purposeful in everything he did, and he wasn't just a man who came and said, okay, guys, turn to God because he loves you. He said, listen, everything you're experiencing today, this devastation with the locusts, they they have taken over your land, they've taken over your crops, everything is dead, your economy is failing. He says, You turn to God because in the midst of this devastation, good things can come about. It kind of reminds me of our founder of our Foursquare denomination. Uh, We're part of a a larger denomination called Foursquare. And you can look it up on the web, foursquare.org. But Amy Simple McPherson, in the early 1900s, had this calling from God to begin this movement of reaching people who are far from God. We call it reaching the lost. You know, without God, we're lost in this world. Amy Simple McPherson started this movement, and within two years, there were 12 languages being spoken in her church in Los Angeles, which is still here today, that she was able to have a multilingual service of 12 different languages within two short years. She would also encourage people to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Her name became famous as a result of something that happened and took place in their congregation in 1921 where a woman who was in a wheelchair was healed and was able to stand to her feet. And this this woman called Amy Simple McPherson the faith healer. And Amy Simple McPherson, she said, no, 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 no. I'm not the healer. Jesus Christ is the healer. 
I'm just the little office girl that opens the door for people to come in. And I thought, Lord, that's, that's the good news that you bring to us, that you've called all of us to be the people that opens doors for others because our heart here is to reach the loss one relationship at a time, that they too would find Jesus Christ like many of us have. And the heart behind God's good news is more than just having things and being blessed by God because he is, after all, the God who blesses. But here's some things we can learn from Joel. Here's the first thing you can write in if you're taking notes, that God blesses generations, not just me. He doesn't just bless us in this generation. He doesn't just bless you. He actually blesses generations because he's that magnificent. And Joel's message was a simple message concerning God's blessing. And Joel called the leaders of his day to a sound warning of repentance to successive generations that he would never meet. In other words, Joel worked so hard, not just for the people he was speaking to of his day, but he worked so hard so that generations would understand what the Lord is saying and how God blesses. In fact, all the way down to this generation today. Joel spoke in that way. Joel, in Joel 1, verses 2 and 3, says, Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the land, in all your history, has anything like this happened before? He's talking about the devastation that took place. And he says, Tell your children about it in the years to come, and let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. And Joel was saying to caution future generations what is happening today because it affects them. All the mistakes, the sins, the wrongs that they've done, that's what he's saying. Everything that we've done and us turning away from God and now turning back to God, you've got to let the future generations know because it affects them. But the Lord says, I want to bless your future generations that they should be cautious of how they behave, lest they bring down the same awful devastations that you've encountered. That's what Joel is letting them know. He's saying, look, you've been through some crazy things in the past season. You pass that on to the next generation. And let them know how good God is bringing you out of this devastation. Uh, Heidi and I, uh, I've said it before, but some of you may not know, uh, we were teenage parents, and we had to go through a, a tough season, uh, you know, for one thing, Heidi moving here to the Big Island and raising our oldest son uh, for two years without me because I had to graduate from high school. I was in the 10th grade, and so I had to graduate in order to move up here from Oahu. And so we went through a, 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 just a difficult time period. And then other things happened. Uh, you know, my dad passed away. He wasn't at home. We were in, I was in a single household. My mother uh, a single mom on welfare. So we didn't have much. Uh, our car was the bus and that's all we had for transportation. So just growing up in that environment, it seemed like there was no hope. And so when I mentioned that to people or even our youth, they say, but you guys turned out okay. So I'll be okay too. And I'm like, okay, let me just, let me just illustrate it this way. So I look at life like a minefield. That in life, there are certain minds that we need to avoid. Now, here's what I did. I started here and I said, I hear what you're saying, mom. 
I hear what you're saying, uncle. I hear what you guys are saying, but I going to do them anyway. And so I would try it myself and I get blow up. I'll make a mistake and oh boy, there went one limb. And then I would continue on and I would be okay for a season. And then boom, I'll blow up again. And then I'd come here and blow up again. And But I made it to the other side by the grace of God. But, you know, my hair is singed. So I only have half hair over here. You know, my foot is swollen because, you know, infection. And then this arm is broken. Uh, this other hand is swollen because infection. So I came out on the other side wounded. Many of us came out on the other side wounded. Thanks be to God for His healing and grace. So when I came to know Jesus Christ, He healed me, but I still had some scars, still reminded of what I went through. But because of God's healing and His grace, He said, I not only will take care of your future, but I will also take care of your past. I'll take care of your mistakes. I will pay the price for all the sins that you have done wrong. And so when I look at this picture, I think to myself, that's kind of like what Joel was saying to the people. He was saying, God is not just the God who takes care of our past. He is the everlasting, purposeful God who takes care of our future. And He's letting the children know and letting the people know, I want, God wants to bless you, but not just you. He wants to bless your future generations. That as parents, as people who grow up, as adults, that we are to pass on this kind of knowledge. That now we say to our children and even people we love, listen, I went that way. Let me show you a better way. Instead of going through all of this and saying, Oh, I found God. Which is okay because many of us have found God in pain. And through painful situations and uh, sometimes a dark period of our life. But now we're on this side and we're healed up. We say to those that are on this side saying, Oh, I'm going to do this. And we're saying, listen, been there, done that. Here's the best way. Instead of going through all of this, hopefully turning out okay at the end, just go straight to God And when you go straight to God, then you may possibly avoid many things. Because God will give you the wisdom to say, Nope, that's not of you, Lord. Nope, that's not going to happen. Nope, it's not for me. Even though our flesh may want to and has a desire to, God says, No, there's a better way. Sometimes the best testimony that we can give to people is that we avoided these things. Some people say, no, 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 God just working on my testimony. That's why I step boss up. No. Why? The best testimony is saying, no, God gave me the strength to avoid all of these things. And so now Joel wants this to be passed on, not just to the people, but to the future generations. In other words, what Joel is taking, uh, letting the people know is that, 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 number two, you can write this in, that I must turn to God to be blessed. That's what Joel is letting the people know. He's saying, look, you can go through these minefields if you want to. And yeah, there's devastation in the, in the land. And, and yeah, there's, there are things that you're encountering that you feel God is, is not blessing you with. And sure, it feels like you're far from God. But turn to God. Turn to Him. Because He's the one that's going to bless you. I have my two grandchildren. And when they come over to our house, they open the refrigerator. And they say, Papa, on snacks. On snacks. And they're looking in the refrigerator. And then they turn to me and they say, can I have snacks? I say, sure. And so I get them some snacks, put it in a bowl, and then they can share it or they have their own bowl. But they learn from before because 
before they would open it up and just take something out. It would spill. They would get a little putty on their hand or a little spanking. And I would say, no, let Papa know because I'll get it for you. Now they know when I go to the refrigerator, when I open it up and I want snacks, Papa can make it happen. All I got to do is turn to Papa and Papa, I want snacks. Papa will make it happen. See, it starts at an early age, guys, when we go through the refrigerator. It's like two years old. That's why we still do that today. They turn to me and they say, Papa, I want snacks. Papa gives them snacks. And I know just how much to give them. I know what not to give them. Even if they want to eat certain things, I say, no, you're going to eat this. And it's the same way with God. That when we turn to God, God can make it happen. God can make it work. Because He's the God who blesses. But, but doesn't God bless even those who don't turn to Him? What if I don't turn to Him? What if I don't serve God? What if I don't give to God? What if I don't tithe? Will I still be blessed financially? Yes, you will. You will still be blessed. You will still, if you're working, you will still receive a paycheck. Even if I don't serve God, even if I don't give to God, will I still be blessed financially? Yep, you know why? And this is not in your notes, but God blesses, and the Bible says that He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's Matthew 5.45. In other words, God loves people, and He takes care of people whether they recognize it or not. Yet the greatest blessing you and I will receive are not things we get from God. The greatest blessing you and I will ever receive from God is God. Yeah, people will still be blessed. But the greater blessing is God Himself. Because at the end of our life, if I don't know God, all the things that He blessed me with means nothing at the end of my life. I get nothing. I take nothing, I leave everything. You can think in your mind, hey honey, when I die, bury me with all my money, eh? Yeah, try that. They just couldn't, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. They just can split them up when you're deceased. We can't take everything with us. The greatest blessing you and I can have from God is God Himself. So yes, God will bless us. But the greatest blessing is God Himself. Well, how do I know if what is happening is from God? How do I know if it's of the Lord? Because what if, okay, what if I'm having trouble in my marriage? And there's this other person, and they treat me well, they treat me nice. You know, they make me feel good. Maybe the Lord is telling me, dump this one and grab this one. Is that the Lord? How do I know if it's God? What if the Lord says, oh, you need finances? Oh, yeah, go hit it big, go Vegas. What if I do hit it big? Did God bless me? Was that the Lord? Do I tithe from gambling? I don't know. Is it of the Lord? What am I? I don't know if it's from God. Is it from God or not? What if I go chicken fight and I win? Do I give God some of my earnings? What do I do? And so people would ask, how do I know if it's God? Here's, here's, here's the answer. You won't know if it's God blessing you. You won't know if it's actually Him. Because isn't it true, somebody who does evil sometimes has more than you who are doing good. It seems that way. It seems that you work so hard. And then people who refuse to work, who don't work, that they have more. And you're trying your very best to get ahead. 
And it kind of seems unfair. And you're saying, God, how come I'm not being blessed like that person? That's why Joel, he just... He just bypasses all the obstacles of us trying to guess, is it you, Lord? Is it not you? Is this how we get blessed by you? Is it not? Uh, By the way, if it's something illegal, definitely not the way. (laughs) But Joel says it like this in Joel 2.12. That is why the Lord says, turn to me while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. What Joel is saying is, you're not going to know if it's God. So instead of looking at, Lord, is this you blessing me or is this not you? Turn to God. And he says, turn to him. Come to him with, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Fasting as that spiritual discipline that, that, that when we fast and when we abstain from certain foods, that we would say to God, I am doing this as a spiritual discipline because I want to be weaned from things for this season and be directly connected with you. That some people, they'll fast as a result of wanting to get closer to God and wanting to grow spiritual with God, wanting to mature with God. It requires self-control and discipline as one denies the natural desires of the flesh. That's what fasting does. It should draw us closer to God. Spiritual fasting is not, it's not our way to earn God's favor by getting Him to do something for us. Rather, it's a transformation that takes place inside of us. That when we fast to God, it's saying, God, I'm serious about what I'm fasting about because I want to produce something in me with a more clear, more focused attention that I'm dependent on you and not on things. And so he says, come to me in that way. He also says, fasting should never be something that's displayed publicly. That is something between you and God. In other words, when he says, come to me with fasting, he's saying, you don't need to let everybody know. You let me know that you're coming to me. You don't have to go from person to person to person to person. You come to me. You turn to me. Jesus addressed this. He said, you know, when you're fasting, don't, don't tear your clothes. Don't, don't put dust on your head and your hair and, because that's what they would make themselves look like because it would look like they're fasting. And Jesus says, no, no, you wash yourself, be clean, wear clean clothes so that nobody knows you're fasting because that is a tougher thing to do. Sometimes we want people to know we're spiritually mature by doing spiritually matured things. But God is saying, no, no, no that's spiritual immaturity. He says, you come to me, you come to me in this way. And then he says, come to me with weeping. In other words, there's that sorrowful repentance that's taking place inside of the heart. That it's an outward expression of what really happened on the inside. That that weeping is not, it's, it's not because you got caught, but it's because you're repentive. That you've turned from that ways and now you're turning towards God. Because how many times we've heard it before, I'm sorry. But we do the same thing over and over again. God says, I don't want that. I want you to weep before me. There needs to be a, a, not necessarily proof, but there needs to be an outward expression of what you really mean on the inside. There must be a heart change. He says, that's how you come to me. And he says, come to me with mourning. In other words, the, the problems that you encountered or the sin and the, 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 the repercussions of sin and the consequences of your sin now turns into mourning so that your sin can be taken care of because it's a heartfelt issue. That now the sins that you've committed, it's now affecting you in a way that is pleasing to me because you're turning. Sometimes we'll say to God, Oh Lord, I'm sorry I sinned. I'm sorry I'm sinned. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. And God is saying, Wait a minute. You're not coming to me with mourning. 
you're really not sorry. You're not repentive that that took place. You're sorry you got caught. You feel bad about yourself. You feel horrible. And God is saying there must be mourning that this, this act or whatever it was now turns into a, a tearful expression of the sin that caused whatever it was. And he's saying it, it needs to have a, a heart change. When God tells us to come to him in this way, he's saying when you turn to me, it's not, it's not like a store that you come to get things It's not like a doctor where you go to get healing so you feel better. He says, you turn to me because you love me. Because of this relationship. That there must be something attached to it. Because one of the greatest blessings of God is being weaned off of things and being dependent on Him. And so he says, this is how you should come to me. Weeping, fasting, and mourning. In other words, he's saying, it should mean something to you. When you turn to me, it's not just a quick fix. It's a relationship. Joel 2, 13 and 14. He says, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. His anger to relent and not punish. Who knows? Oh, he is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. What Joel is saying is, look, devastation has happened in the land. Yes, the locust has come and has devoured everything. But let's just say we turn back to the Lord and repent. Who knows that God wouldn't save us from all of this? Who knows what God is up to in the midst of devastation and in the trials that we're in because we serve a God of good news. Who knows that God is not going to bless us in this time. Maybe God will bless us. He's saying, but we need to turn to Him. And we've got to do it in the way He asked. Not just tearing our clothes because that's what they did to show their heart of repentance. But after a while, there will be no heart included. It will just be the sign of repentance, of a tearing of their clothing. And God says, no sense you tear your clothing and look like you're repenting when your hearts are not. No sense you turn in that kind of way. Otherwise, your garments and tearing your garments would be in vain, except that your hearts would be torn and rent. And when you tear your heart apart, that it's more than just self-loathing or not liking yourself or hating yourself, but you're sorrowful of your sins, that you're separate from your sin now because I have cleansed you. See, there is no question but that if we truly repent of our sins, that God will forgive us. He'll forgive us our sins. But whether He will remove affliction or the consequences, that is not promised. But what Joel is saying is yet the probability of it being removed should encourage us to repent. There may be a possibility that what is going to happen, the consequence, may be removed. So it should cause us to repent. If you're facing jail time, don't wait for everything to go through to turn your life over to God. If we're doing things that are not pleasing to God, don't wait for that season where we're caught in it. Then we turn to God. God is saying... You're going to reap some consequences from that. Why wait for that? Because the consequences may come. 
It's not promised that the consequences will be removed, but just the fact that it may, might as well turn now. That's what Joel is saying. He's saying, you got to get it right because God may remove it, but who knows? It's not promised. But just the fact that it may should turn our hearts to repent. The last thing, because we can do all these things and still miss the blessing of God because we have no idea what to look for. In other words, we got to look for God's blessing. we got to look for it. It's there, but sometimes we have no idea what to look for. We were uh, traveling and we were at the airport in L.A. And I asked the gentleman that was working there for some directions to where I needed to go. And he said, oh, uh, it's, uh, you go down that escalator and then you head outside and you take a left and you're going to see where you need to go. And I said, oh, okay. And I looked at the escalator and Heidi and I were looking at it, but the escalator was going up. And I said, uh, so you, I, I go downstairs? He goes, yeah, just take that escalator and go downstairs, go out the door, take a left, and then you'll find it is going to that open room. And I'm thinking, okay, Heidi, is it just me or is that escalator going up? And now this guy is looking at me like, what, don't you understand? And I said, this escalator? He goes, yes, that escalator. I'm like, brah. <laughs> i just asking. I don't, I don't live, I don't work here. I'm thinking all of this in a split second. You know how you think that and then Jesus comes in and you're like, oh, I cannot act like that. So I said, um, where do I need to go? He says, that escalator right there. Have you given someone instructions that you know exactly what you're saying, but they can't get it, but you're getting irritated because they don't know what you're saying? That's what he was feeling. He said, that escalator right there, you go downstairs. I said, but it's going up. He said, there's one right behind it going down. I was like, why you never tell me that in the first place? Why you got to point to down? Why you never say around? Nah, I didn't say that. I just said, because I wanted to. I wanted to. But Jesus said, No. What would Jesus do? I don't know what he would do. I know what I would want to do. So he said, it's right over there. I said, okay, thank you. And I thought, it's, it's amazing that even though people point and show us exactly where we need to go or what we need to do, if we have no idea where we're going, even then we can be misinformed. Because if we don't know what to look for, how will we get there? How do we know what's happening? If we don't know what to look for when it comes to God's blessing, how will we even recognize it when it shows up? How do we know? Because we got to look for it. But even when we look for it, how do we know? See, when you have no idea what you're looking for, you actually rely on other people to show you. And sometimes what happens when we're looking for blessings... We miss the key component of God. We don't know what to look for, so we just look for tangible things. And God is saying, well, hold on, you're missing it. It's me who you need to be looking for because it's God's blessings. Joel 2.19 and 24. Joel says, the Lord will reply, look. Now I want us to read these two words together. Ready? Go. I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. The Lord says, I am going to do this. When we look for God's blessing, don't just look for the blessing, look for God's 
blessing. Look for God in this. God blessings, it, it comes with the promise of a kind of, re- of relief that we so desperately need. That's what he's saying to them. That the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, they were all temporary things. They were temporal blessings which the locusts destroyed. And God's promise was to restore and to restore not just to the extent that was barely necessary, the temporal things, but in full and abundant measure, so much that you would be satisfied. In other words, what Joel was reminding the people of is that you're looking for the temporal blessings, but God is looking for the eternal blessings. That this will sustain you for a while, but His presence and who He is, that will carry you on for eternity. That's who you've got to look for. Sometimes we look for God's blessings in things that are only good, as in a broken cell phone, a hot workplace environment, or a girl as a teenager punching you in your face. But even when things don't look so great, look to the one who can bring about greatness, even in devastating times. That's what Joel was trying to tell the people. He said, stop looking at at the field. Stop looking at the devastation and looking for more grain. Look to the one who's going to provide that. Because you can get grain. You can plant more crops and you'll get the, the temporary things. But if you turn to God, that is eternal. He's the one that's going to bring back in Joel 2.25. That the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. It was I, watch this and listen very carefully, it was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you want and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Well, wait a minute. Did God send the locusts to destroy their crops? Why would God do something like that? That's mean. I thought he was a God of good news. I thought he was a God who blesses. See, what was happening with the people is they weren't turning to God. They were relying on their crops. And God was saying, your crops can be gone in a day. Your economy can crash in a moment. Your money, your finances can be gone just like that with one devastating catastrophe. It can be gone. But I never leave you. I never forsake you. I'm always here. God was reminding them that temporal things, that's what they are, temporary. He says, but if you turn to me, I'm eternal. God loves us enough to send us pain so we turn to him. Wait a minute, so all the painful situations I've been through, God caused all that? Sometimes God does, sometimes he allows it. God is looking at the bigger picture that we turn to him. Not go through the minefield. You can cause your own pain. Does that mean God sent it? No, sometimes we cause it ourselves. God says, no, no, you're missing it. Turn to me. That's what he was telling the people. You've been turning to temporary things. You've got to turn to me. Here's the reason why we go through what we go through in Joel 2.28. God says, then after doing all those things, I 
will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In other words, God is always at work to bring about the greater blessings in our lives. Even when we don't see it. Even when we don't feel it. Even when devastation occurs. God is always at work. He is not oblivious. He is not forsaken. He has not forgotten about us. He is not leaving us abandoned. He is always at work. He's bringing about a greater blessing than we actually realize, but we got to look for God's blessing in it. Not just look at the bad things that are happening. That's why God put, the, put eternity in the hearts of man. He put it there so that we would seek Him and not things. But the problem is we get that confused. We try to seek things rather than the one who put eternity in our hearts. And so we try to seek things that will fulfill the void in our hearts. But God is saying, you're putting the wrong thing in there. I put eternity in your heart so that you would seek me. And it's amazing. Scientists and social scientists and anthropologists are shocked and surprised when they find globally that there's a sense of eternity in the hearts of peoples everywhere. But they, they liken it to evolution and the evolution process of this thing that as we evolve, that there's this thing inside of this process that allows us to believe in a God. But we know the truth. We know the truth that God put eternity in our hearts so that we would seek Him. It's, it's no, there's no evolutionary process when it comes to the heart of man. God created us and put inside of our hearts this eternity so that we would follow Him and turn to Him. And men and women longing to know what God is like, who God is, why are we here, why do I exist, and what can this God do for me? God put eternity there so that we would seek Him out. Because he is the God who blesses. And he says, I want to bless you, but you've got to turn to me. We know the truth that God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. Even when there's devastation and barrenness, God says, I will always be faithful. Second Timothy 1, 9 and 10. It says, for God saved us. And called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from, the, from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Sometimes we're saying, but I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for God. I prayed to Him. I, I've done everything. I, I'm waiting for God. He's, he doesn't bless me. He blesses everybody else, but He doesn't bless me. And you're saying, God never blesses me. You've got to look. Because He is. Yeah, but God should go first. Because isn't He God? If He loved me, He would have went first. God did go first. He sent us Jesus Christ. He came as a human being and died for our sins. God went first. And he says, I'm going to die for your sins, your past sins, and your future sins for all generations. I'll, I'll wipe the slate clean. I'll go first. All I'm asking you to do is turn to me because I love you. I want to bless you, but you got to turn towards me. I am the God who blesses. And I am the one who has good news. The world will broadcast whatever they want. But God says, I will always 
be about good news because he's a good God. Amen. And close your Bibles and put away your notes. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I want to read a, a, just a little excerpt from our marriage class that we have on Tuesday nights called Love and Respect. Some of you are in that class, and it's a phenomenal uh, class for marriage. And you might be single, and you're thinking, well, I don't know how this is going to relate to me. But it will. I just want you to listen to this and, and catch the heart behind it. And the heart behind our Love and Respect marriage class that happens on Tuesday night uh, is to help the marriage uh, and the process of being married. Sometimes we think, oh, once I get married, everything's fine. That's all we got to do. Once we tie the knot, we're good. We love each other. It's going to be fine. We get problems now, but once we get married, we can go away. There is an innate need for a man to feel respected and honored. It is there is also an innate need for a woman to feel loved and secure. In this class, we have learned and experienced that when a wife does not feel loved, she negatively reacts and responds disrespectfully. Then, without respect, a man tends to respond by not being loving. The result is what we call the crazy cycle. It just keeps spinning, cycling, until either he begins to be loving, despite the disrespectful actions and attitude of his wife, or she is respectful despite the unloving actions and attitude of her husband. When this happens, we then enter into the energizing and rewarded cycles. His love regardless of her respect, her respect regardless of his love. We do this as unto the Lord. Unfortunately, unconditional love and respect does not come naturally. However, it is commanded by God, and because it does not come naturally, men and women have to make a conscious choice or decision to do it purposefully. The greatest blessing in our own marriage and in the testimonies of each couple is when we are conducting ourselves as God has instructed. The power of God is released into our relationships through our obedience. The response is that we get off the crazy cycle and become passionate about meeting each other's needs as our needs are being met. We become friends again. Passion is restored and families are made stronger. It is no different with God. That sometimes we live this life in this crazy cycle. We do the same thing over and over again. Yes, we go to God. We ask God for forgiveness. We repent. We say we were sorry. God, forgive me. We even pray. But then we go back and do the very same thing over and over. And God says, you're in a crazy cycle. It's time for you to come to me. And enough with the crazy cycle. Come now to me. To go and step into the energizing and rewarded cycle. God paid the price so that when we deal with whatever we deal with in life, instead of us getting blown up to pieces, Jesus said, I'll take that pain for you. Now you have direct access to God. You don't need to do that. I already took it for you because he's the God who blesses even when we don't realize it. We just have to look for it. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads together. Lord, this morning as we as we begin this new series, 
that we would all understand that you are the God of good news. That you are the God who blesses. Help us to turn to you, not wait for things to go bad, to stay close to you. But to turn to you. That we would look to you and look for your blessings. Lord, I know there are many here today, maybe they don't have a relationship with you. And they do have this longing to know you. They have eternity in their hearts, but they don't know where to start. And maybe today it's just a a simple thing for them to understand that when they turn their hearts to you, that's the beginning of new life. If any of you are here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, you've never turned your life over to God, maybe today is that day. Maybe God has spoken to you and saying, come home. I've been waiting for you all this time. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer that says, I want Jesus to be in my life, and I want the life He's given to me. I want to be close to God. In fact, we can all pray this prayer, but especially for those that are receiving Jesus for the very first time, just mean it with all your heart. Here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Please wash me clean and make me brand new. I believe in you, that you died for me, that you rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray over those that just said yes to Jesus for the very first time. And if that was you, could you just lift a hand real quickly? I just want to pray over you. You said yes to Jesus today for the very first time. Good. Good. God sees your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? You said yes to Jesus today for the very first time. Good. Good. God sees your heart. He knows you prayed. Anybody else? Good. God sees your hands. God bless you. God bless you. God sees you. You put your hands down. Lord, I pray for those that said yes to you today. That it's more than just a prayer. It's really a connection with you for eternity. That you have provided a place for us after we're done here on this earth. A place called heaven. A perfect place. Where there's no more pain and suffering. But we don't have to wait until we get there to live the life you've promised us. It starts today. It's a new life. So I pray for all those that said yes to you, that you would begin their new life with you. For all of us, Lord, I pray that we would understand and and remember that you're a God of good news, that even in the midst of devastation, when we look for you, we will find your blessings. Because the greatest blessing that we will ever have from you is not things, it is you. Because you're the God who blesses. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, Amen.